The first reading is from the letter of James, chapter 5. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience, of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of, jo- of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. The second reading is from the book of Jeremiah, chapter 29. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so that they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have banished you, declares the Lord, and will bring you back to the place from which I carried you into exile. We're in the... Sorry about that. Glad you made it. Through the treacherous, snow-filled streets. I almost slipped a few times. We're in the uh, we're in the fifth and final week of this series, slowing down, uh, talking about the the evils of hurry and how hurry makes a relationship with God impossible, a spiritual life impossible. And I realized this week, um, as I was thinking about what we should do for this fifth topic, that the word patience has has been uh, peculiarly absent from the series, from the discussion. We haven't we haven't really talked about patience. Per se, and it's something that the Bible talks about a lot. Um, so we're going to turn there this morning to, to wrap up the series. I want to start by just acknowledging that patience is uh, a questionable quality today. You know, there's that that phrase, that aphorism, "patience is a virtue," um, but that's been called into question. Um, you know, in New York, I think it would be seen more like a weakness or. Um, a disease of some sort to be patient. Um, Ambrose Pierce, he was this uh, journalist in San Francisco Civil War era uh, satirist. He he compiled what he called the Cynics Dictionary um, with kind of these witty definitions for every word. And his definition for the for patience, he said, patience, he wrote, is a minor form of despair disguised as a virtue. So it's, this idea has been around a long time. It's not really a good thing. We just call it a good thing because what do you do when you don't have any control or power, you know, you just, you say, well, it's good to wait, when really you're just kind of giving up. Um, so there's that view, and then the, the, the Bible has a different view. You know, this idea of patience as a virtue doesn't come from Aristotle or Aesop or anywhere. It comes from Scripture. If you pull out in your insert, in your bulletins, there's this message insert. Uh, the, the first set of verses there under the introduction section, number one. 
This verse from the Old Testament Proverbs and Ecclesiastes talking about the wisdom of patience. It is better to be patient than powerful. It is better to win control over yourself than over whole cities. The end of the matter is better than its beginning, and patience is better than pride. So you see it commended there as wise in the Old Testament. But then, more importantly, in the New Testament, patience is identified as a distinctly Christian virtue right alongside these other qualities that come from God's spirit living within you. So if you look at number two there, um, this is from Colossians, Galatians, and 2 Corinthians, three epistles. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. But the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, and purity, understanding, patience. So it's there. It's there in Scripture. It's talked about as this really important cornerstone of the Christian life. Spurgeon uh, said, echoing a lot of other people, patience is a grace as difficult as it is necessary and as hard to come by as it is precious once it is gained. So for the sake of time, we're just going to set aside the, uh, the patience cynics. We could, we could get deeper into that debate, but we're just going to table that and assume for the sake of argument the patience is a good thing, that you need it. If so, what is it? Um, it turns out it's kind of a multifaceted term. It can mean different things in different contexts. And I want us to get the, the full picture this morning. So we're going to look at three different types of patience um, that arise in three different contexts. First, patience with people. Second, patience with circumstances. And third, patience with God. Patience with people, patience with circumstances, and patience with God. Those will be the three sections of this morning's message. So first, patience with people. What's this one about, patience with people? If you look next uh, under section one, first set of verses there on your insert, Proverbs draws a contrast three times, same contrast about patience, and he's talking here about patience with people. A man's wisdom gives patience. It is his glory to overlook an offense. A patient man has great understanding, but a quick-tempered man displays his folly. A hot-tempered person stirs up conflict, but the one who is patient calms a quarrel. All three times, patience contrasted with anger or quick-tempered. And one of the, the Greek words that's used in the New Testament for, for patience, there's two that appear most frequently, but one of them is uh, macrothumos, macro, long, great, and thumos, like thermal, hot, long, to get hot, slow, to get angry. This first type of patience, patience with people, is having a long fuse, being long to get hot. Um, and impatience, conversely, as you know, is quick to get hot. Um, and that's what New York is, quick to get hot. I mean, everybody just walks around, you know, at 210 degrees, just a couple degrees shy of boiling. And it's very easy to, to go over the top. And we all have, you know, tons of stories about this. I mean, one of the most fun parts about having family or friends come to the city, the great New York City tourist attraction is all these altercations that can break out at any moment. You know, you never know. Um, and it just kind of makes life exciting. Um, I had a, a good one recently. I was driving down a, a residential street, um, so pretty narrow, you know, only room for one car, really. But there's two cars can fit if you squeeze. And coming up to the light at the avenue, the three cars, I'm the third car, that there's a van in front of me, an SUV in front of the van. And the van decides that the SUV is going too slow. So he's laying on the horn. And finally, he decides to, to tr- the, the, the SUV was kind of over to the right. 
in the lane. There's only one lane, but the van decides he's going to try to shoot the gap and go around the SUV to make the light. So he does it, and when you get to the intersection, the SUV floors it to swerve around the van. And I'm watching all this. So when we get up to the, we all, all three of us make the light. When we get about a quarter of the way up the next block, the SUV now in front of the van slams on the brakes, throws the car into park, and the door opens and out steps this guy who's like 6'4", 300 pounds. And I'm thinking, this is going to be good. I, you know, I was feeling the opposite of impatient at that moment. I was just happy to be as lucky as I was. Um, and, you know, it actually was kind of boring. The, the guy in the van quickly saw that he was um, mismatched. So he, he wisely stayed in the car, and the, the guy from the SUV just yelled at him for a few minutes and then got back in the car. Um, and then he, of course, you know, when we get to the next green light, he waits until the light is red before he goes through so that the van has to stay. But anyway, uh, impatience, quick to get hot, quick to get hot. And that's how things are here, quick to get hot. You, the slightest mistake somebody else makes that delays you at all. And, you know, it's one thing if it's with strangers, it's kind of a little bit more serious if it's with the people that are closest to us. So, you know, this obviously happens with your kids. Um, my kids are young, so for me, it's the, uh-oh, I spilled my milk again, you know, and no, zero remorse. I mean, it's, she doesn't care at all, or uh-oh, I spilled my whole plate of food, or no, 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 I want to climb the stairs by myself. So, 17 minutes later, you know, okay, we did it, good job, or with your kids or with your spouse. Um, you know, it's this, you think you're at room temperature, but then so quickly go to, to boiling. You know, what, the, the, this one thing that they do or they don't do, this one thing that they say or they don't say, and so quickly hot, quick to get hot instead of patience, long fuse. So what's, the, what's the answer to this type of impatience? How do you develop this type of patience with people? Uh, scripture tells us, if you look here, Section 1, this is uh, number 2 now, under Section 1. Love is patient, is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Be patient with each other, making allowances for each other's faults because of your love. So this is one of those answers that makes you feel worse, not better. What Scripture said is the, the answer to impatience is love. If you love someone, you'll be patient with them. You say, well, wait, wait, wait a minute. Are you saying that my problem is that I don't love my family well enough? Is that, the, is that what you're trying to say? And yeah, that is. It's exactly what I'm trying to say. And that cuts against the way we like to normally think about it. We, we normally like to think about, oh, I love them. I love them well enough. Sure, I love them like crazy. I just have this patience problem. It's not like that. It's not what Scripture says. Scripture says if you have a patience problem, you have a love problem. If you're deficient in patience, you're deficient in love. And then that kind of recasts the problem because now it's not a quick fix. Now it's not a behavioral thing. Now you're going to need to get to the root of the, the issue. Now it's, it's a lot bigger. I have to love better. How do, you, how do you love better? There's only one way to love better, and that's by being loved better. Next verse, number three, under section one from Exodus. This is God talking to Moses. And he passed in front of Moses proclaiming, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands, and forgiving 
wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Slow to anger and abounding in love. In other words, patient. God is slow to get angry. God has a long fuse. God takes a long time to get hot. And when you receive the patient love of God, you can then extend that patient love to those around you. But there's no quicker fix than that. There's no, there's no more shallow solution than that. Than loving better by being loved better. A little kid song that I learned at growing up, um, it's, you know, this turtle is singing this actually in a very low voice slowly. And the words are, have patience, have patience. Don't be in such a hurry. When you get impatient, you only start to worry. Remember, remember that God is patient too. And think of all the times when he has had to wait on you. And that's it, right? I mean, that's it. Thinking about God's patience toward you. How long did he wait for you while you were ignoring him, off doing your own thing, not worried about God at all, waiting for you to come back to him? How long did he wait? How long does he watch you do the same stupid things, make the same mistakes, the same sins over and over and over again and still love you and not get angry? You have to receive that type of patient love from God. It has to soak into your bones before you can extend that type of patient love to others. That's the first type. That's just the first. There's there's two more. first type is patience with others, and it's long views rooted in love. Second type. Moving on to the second section of the message. The second type of patience is patience with circumstances. So what's, what's this one about? Well, the other Greek word that's used in Scripture, not makrothumos, long to get hot, but the other one is hypomeno. So hypo, uh, under, below, and then meno is, is uh, abide. So abide under, abide under. And what this one's talking about is kind of difficult circumstances. What's nice about this type of patience is it corresponds to the, the English word patience. Um, the English word patience comes from the Latin root to suffer. Same as like a patient at a hospital. A patient at a hospital is somebody who suffers. Or passion, the word passion, same root to suffer, like the passion of the Christ. That's what patience means. It means suffering. And it, it requires patience in the typical sense of the word because you don't know when the suffering's going to end. You don't know how long it's going to take. It's obviously going to take longer than you like it to. And so it requires this, this patience, this long-suffering. You see it translated in Scripture sometimes. Long-suffering, endurance, patience, abiding under the circumstances. This is what James is talking about and part of the, the passage you heard read earlier. This is now in section two, uh, number one. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You have heard of Job's perseverance and have seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. What's he talking about there with the, the prophets? Well, there's all these guys in the Old Testament that, that display this remarkable amount of patience. So you take, for instance, um, Jeremiah, who God says, all right, I want you to go and preach that the Israelites are going to be taken over by a foreign nation and are going to be uh, deported and taken into exile. He says, I can't do that. They're going to think I'm a traitor. They're going you know, to try to kill me. And they did. They tried to kill him for, for treason. He had a miserable life, preached the whole time, did what God told him to do. Or Isaiah, he says, Isaiah, I want you to preach for a couple of decades. Nobody's ever going to believe you. Not one person. No one's going to listen to you for 20, 30 years. Get going. 
And Isaiah does. He goes and he preaches for a few decades, and nobody ever listens to him. Or how about Hosea? He says to Hosea, Hosea, you're never going to be much of a prophet until you understand what things are like from my perspective. So what I want you to do is to understand what it's like to be me, a God who's constantly cheated on by his people. Go and marry this woman, and she's going to cheat on you constantly, and you stay faithful to her. And Hosea does it. James says, that's patience. That's the type of patience I'm talking about. Patience through these really difficult circumstances. And he says, when you remember Job, you know, you've heard of the patience of Job, of course. We've all heard of the patience of Job. Job played in the Super Bowl of suffering. He loses everything in the most horrific of ways, and yet still says things like, though he slay me, yet I trust him. Still says things like, should I accept good from God and not trouble? Job. He says, that's patience. Be patient like that. Patience under the circumstances, enduring, pushing through. You say, okay, I get, I get the concept. Um, now I'm back to questioning whether patience is really a virtue after all. I mean, this kind of just sounds masochistic. You know, what's, what's the value of this? What's the good of just staying in, staying put in a difficult situation? Wouldn't any normal, rational, sane person want to get out of a painful situation as quickly as possible? So two good things to the two benefits of, of this type of patience, of staying in a difficult situation. The first is that, that God usually gives the greatest victories to the people who have come through something like this. So the, the prophets, for example, you know, we, we wouldn't have heard of any of these guys if they had disobeyed, if they had been impatient, if they had just gone their own way. But now here we are, millennium later, and... We, these are some of the greatest figures in history because of their patience. You know, instead of Isaiah preaches for 30 years, nobody listens, but now his words have reached not hundreds, not thousands, not hundreds of thousands, not millions, billions of people. Billions of people. Did he know that? Did he know that was going to happen? No. He just was faithful. He was patient in suffering, trusting that God had a plan. And he does. He does have a plan. He does have a reason. He is taking you somewhere. That's why he cares more about the the purpose for your life than he does the problems in your life. He's taking you somewhere, and if you're patient enough to see where it is, the greatest triumph can come out from it. That's what James says here. He says, um, you've heard about Job's perseverance. You've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy, referring to the fact that Job, in the end, gets twice as much as he started with. So that's the first part of it. You eventually triumph. God is taking you somewhere. But then the second part of it, related to it, is that it's not just about that you eventually triumph or overcome. It's also about what God is doing to you and in you through the suffering. So if you look now on the, on the back of your uh, insert, this is section 2 continued, verses uh, number 2 there. James talks about this too. When you have many kinds of troubles... You should be full of joy, knowing that the testing of your faith will give you patience. Then you will be perfect and complete. We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they are good for us. They help us learn to be patient, and patience develops strength of character in us. He's making you into something. He's making you into something beautiful, and your patience in that difficulty is part of that. I'm reading a book um, called the, the Parents We Mean to Be. I was supposed to read it for the parenting series, but uh, got put off, so I'm reading it now. It's a Harvard psychologist, and the, the big thesis of the book is that psychologists and psychiatrists are now seeing across the board that with, with parents putting their kids' happiness first, 
the parents putting their kids' comfort first. We're now churning out um, these really weak, really selfish human beings. In putting happiness first, you end up undercutting the moral identity of your child. It says it's really bad, really bad to put your kids' happiness first, comfort first. God doesn't do that. God is a good parent. God is a wise parent. And he doesn't care as much about our happiness as he does about our holiness. He doesn't care as much about our comfort as he does about our character. So he lets us go through these things so he can change us. The powerful image that scripture uses to talk about this is, is like a, a metal, a precious metal that's, you know, raw material has all this dross, all this junk, and has to go through the fire to be purified. This is uh, number three there on the back under section two talks about this repeatedly. He knows the way that I, this is Job talking first using this image. He knows the way that I take when he has tested me, I will come forth as gold. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tried you in the furnace of affliction. The crucible is for silver. The furnace is for gold and the Lord tests hearts. The bad news is that it's not automatic. You know, just the vert, but you, you don't become this beautiful person just by by suffering alone. It has to do with your attitude toward the suffering, the receptivity to it, and that's why it's about patience. It's about patience. It's about accepting it versus kind of trying to to rush through it or push back against it, which would be the natural, normal human response. The, the series is slowing down. You know, we've been talking for a month about slowing down. And maybe the most important place to slow down of all, certainly the hardest place to slow down of all, is when you're going through something really painful. And what scripture says is just slow down. Just slow down. God's doing something in it. God's doing something to you. But you lose all the benefit. You get all the pain and none of the benefit if you're constantly railing against it, trying to resist it, fighting it, trying to get out of it as soon as you can. Listen to Spurgeon again here. He says... Affliction has been the fire which would have removed our imperfections, but impatience has robbed us of its purification. Let us remember that affliction will not bless us if born impatiently. If we kick at the goad, it will hurt us and fail to act as a fitting stimulus. If we rebel, we may turn God's medicines into poisons and increase our grief by refusing to endure them. It's about your attitude. It's about your patience within the suffering. You say, well, how do, I, how do I do that? I mean, like you said, it's the natural human response to try to resist, to try to, reflee, to, to, to flee, to try to run through it as fast as possible. How do I be patient in the midst of suffering? Well, it's this predictable answer, same as the first one. You know, if, if the answer to impatience with people is this love that has to come from God, the answer to patience in the midst of difficulty is the strength that has to come from God. This is number four under section two. God will strengthen you with his own great power so that you will not give up when troubles come, but you will be patient. Just the way you have to go to God for that love to be patient with others. You have to go to God for that strength to be patient in the midst of, of difficulty. There's a third type. First, the, the patience with people rooted in love. Second, this, this patience and difficulty and circumstances abiding rooted in this strength that comes from God. There's a third type, and that's the patience with, with God himself. And the 
the first two sections are dealing with kind of a, a bad thing that you want to be over. You know, somebody else's imperfections or problems or, or a difficulty in your own life, circumstantially. This, this third section, this third type of patience, patience with God, is different. What we're talking about here is not the presence of a negative thing, but the absence of a positive thing. You're waiting for something good to happen, something you want to happen, something you think is supposed to happen, that you, you're convinced is coming, and it just won't come. This is what James is talking about in the, in the first half of the passage you heard read earlier. This is section three now, number one, James chapter five. Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too, be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. So he uses the example of the farmer waiting for crops and plant water, and then you just have to sit there and wait for the good thing to come. Now, the, what, the, what the farmer has going for him is that he knows, you know, roughly about when it's going to happen. I mean, it, he still has to have patience because he has to sit there and wait, but he knows it's going to be around this time. And that's not usually the case with us with these things. You know, whether you're waiting for the right spouse or you're waiting for a child, either to have a child or to adopt a child, you're waiting for the right job, you're waiting for the right opportunity to open up, the right career change, you're waiting for a house, you're waiting for God to change the heart of a family member. These big things that you want, um, that you're just waiting for, that you think God wants to give to you, but they haven't come yet, and you don't know when they're coming, that type of patience is, is patience with God. So if, if the first type of patience, patience with other people, requires love, and if the second type of patience, patience with circumstances, requires strength, what's this third type require? Look on your insert there, uh, number two. We, too, wait with eager hope for the day when God will give us our full rights as his adopted children. But if we look forward to something we don't have yet, we must wait patiently and confidently. And the scriptures give us hope and encouragement as we wait patiently for God's promises to be fulfilled. This third one's about hope. This third type of patience is about hope. And just like the other two, just like the love that has to come from God and the strength that has to come from God, the hope has to come from God. It has to be given to you by God. And these verses actually make an even more specific reference. They say scripture can be helpful in developing and sustaining this hope, this hope you have to sustain while you're waiting you say, okay, so I wait with hope. What am I supposed to do in the meantime when I'm waiting for this good thing to happen that won't happen, that will never come? What am I supposed to do in the meantime? The Bible talks about that too. This is number uh, three now. Uh, two verses, one from the Old Testament, one from the New Testament. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. And then from Thessalonians, make it your goal to live a quiet life, minding your own business and working with your hands. Two scenarios there uh, in the Old Testament and New Testament, both of which are, are kind of similar. You heard the whole Jeremiah passage read earlier that that verse is taken from. And this, the situation there is, remember, we talked about Jeremiah uh, told the Israelites they were going to be uh, attacked and, and deported, taken into exile into another country. And that, that happened, just like he said. And they get there, and they, they, God says, I'm going to rescue you. And they say, okay, great. God's going to rescue us. So they're just kind of sitting around waiting. And he says, no, 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 it's going to be a long time. It's gonna, I'm going to rescue you, but you're going to be here in this foreign city a long time. So just settle down. Settle down. Build houses, plant gardens, marry, have sons and daughters, marry off your kids. Settle down, put down roots, seek the good of the city, 
And then there's that famous verse, you know, that everybody quotes all the time, Jeremiah 29, 11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you. And that comes in this context of waiting. He says, I know it's better in my wisdom to wait, to not take you out now, but to leave you there for a few generations. I know the plans I have for you. Trust me. So just wait. Just settle down, live your life, and wait. Same thing with the Thessalonians passage. Um, the first generation of Christians all thought Christ was going to come back in that first generation. So they kind of put everything on hold. They thought, well, he's, he's coming back any day. We don't need to really you know, make normal human arrangements. They're just kind of sitting around. And Paul says, no, 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 no. You don't know. You don't know when it's going to be. So just get a normal job, live a normal, quiet life, provide for yourself, work with your own hands, and wait, and wait. While you're waiting with hope, you just have to live your normal, everyday life. And, it, you know, it can be a while. I mean, you know, if for the, the Jeremiah passage, those in exile it was 70 years. And God shows this, this trend all the time in people's lives in the Bible. Moses uh, was, you know, going to liberate the Israelites from the Egyptians. So he had, he had made it to the pinnacle of power at age 40. He was in the Egyptian court. He couldn't have been better positioned to liberate the, the Israelites from the Egyptians than where he was at. Makes a huge mistake has to leave Egypt, and is gone in the desert, being a shepherd in some foreign land, not knowing anybody he's known before for 40 years. For 40 years, he's just off, waiting for his destiny to happen. And one day, one day, he's out in the fields, and it looked like any of the other thousands of days he had been there out in the fields. One day, out of any of those thousands, he's out there, and he sees a bush that is on fire, and the bush is not consumed. And it was there. It was there. This huge, long periods of inactivity, of blank space, punctuated by big events. Same thing with Jesus. Jesus is uh, 30 years old before he begins his ministry. So from age 12 to age 30, for 18 years, he's just grinding it out as a carpenter. The Son of God is pounding nails into wood for 18 years. You think you're overqualified for your job. I mean, he's just sitting there. Just sitting there waiting, waiting for his destiny. That's not what he came. He didn't come to be a carpenter. He came to heal. He came to perform miracles. He came to teach. He came to die. And he's just sitting there waiting, just waiting for it to happen. God tells Abraham, you're going to have a son who waits 25 years before the promise is fulfilled. This is just how God is. This is just how God likes stuff. This is how he, he set up the universe. The universe is mostly empty space. And life is mostly empty space. Life is mostly empty space. Life is mostly not big things happening. It's just sitting around, grinding it out, plodding, one foot in front of the other, waiting for the big things to happen. He's just like this. This is how he does it. You you know, you open up Genesis chapter 1, and you think he's going to be really fast moving because he creates the whole world in six days. Six days, the whole world. Wow, I like this guy. He knows how to get stuff done. And then, and then he just sits back. And you can see within the first generation that it's going really badly. Cain kills Abel. It's going downhill. Everybody reading it is like, no, stop this. This is not going the right direction. And God just sits back and waits for a thousand years, for a millennium, to see what happens. And then finally, after a thousand years of patience, he says, he finds a guy named Noah and he says, all right, I'm going to start over. But I want as many people as possible to repent first. So I've, I've admitted a little stall tactic. Here are the directions for this giant boat I want you to build. And I'm not going to carry out my plan until you finish the boat. 
So it takes Noah 100 years. 100 years, God's just sitting there watching Noah build his stupid boat just to waste time, just to wait for more people to repent. How's it coming, Noah? All right, we'll wait. God waiting on Noah 100 years. And then, you know, the Israelites in Egypt in slavery for 400 years, twice, almost twice the length of the existence of the United States. They're in slavery. It's one line in the book of Exodus. You have the whole book of Exodus about the event itself, one line about the 400 years of slavery. What was he doing? What was he waiting for? I don't know. He's just waiting. The God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob just waits. He's just slow. He rescues the Israelites. They're cast into captivity. We already talked about him waiting to bring him out of captivity. And then from the last prophet until Christ, another 400 years of absolute silence. God doing nothing. Finally, finally the awaited Messiah comes. Finally Jesus comes. Finally the end is there after all this human history. And Jesus comes and says, well, this isn't really the end. They said, oh, it's not? He said, no, I'm going to leave and I'm going to come back again and that'll be the real end. This is the, the beginning of the end. You're like, okay, so when are you coming back? Soon. Okay. <laughs> and they're such suckers. I mean, they think, you know, soon means like, you know, tomorrow. Oh, he's coming back soon. And they didn't realize, this is the same God. This is the same God that had waited all these other times before. That had displayed amazing patience, not in a rush. The same God. So yeah, he's coming back soon. Soon by his Timetable. I mean, people, it's been 2,000 years. So people say, well, you know, maybe he's not coming. Why would you think that? Why would you think that based on his history? Why would you think that based on the patience he's displayed? Mostly empty space. Mostly empty space punctuated by these big events that come seemingly out of nowhere. And the patience, the patience with God is maintaining hope, living your life, one foot in front of the other, plodding along, and that those monotonous days in between the big stuff that happens. Because if you don't, you miss it. You know, if you, if you get tired of it and you say, well, he's going too slow, you know, then you're not going to know when he's going to do his thing because you blew past him you know, three miles ago. I, I know I'm gone. I, I know what I'm doing. I don't, need to, I don't need to wait for God anymore. Then you, you miss it. You say, well, I've already, been, I've already been waiting, you know, a year or two years or ten years. You know, does he really want me to wait that long? Does he really want me to wait longer than that? Is that true? I think it might be. I think it might be. Three types of patience. Patience with other people, which is the patience of a long fuse rooted in God's love. Patience with circumstances. The patience of hanging in there, of abiding under, which is rooted in God's strength. And patience with God himself, the patience of waiting for the big stuff to happen and the long stretches of monotony, which is rooted in hope. Let's pray. God, we see your patience and we're in awe. It's not how we think. It's not how we approach life. It's not our default way of looking at the world. We ask, God, as we come to you, that you would give us a little bit of what you have. That you would give us a little bit of your love so that we could love those closest to us better. Love them with patience. Love them with a long fuse, not getting angry so quickly. We ask, God, that you would give us your strength to persist and persevere 
and endure in the midst of difficulty so that you can take us where you want to go and you can do in us what you want to do and make us into the people you want to make us into. That we don't skip past that out of uh, pain and wanting to get through the difficulty, but that through your strength we would be patient under the circumstances. And God, we ask for your hope. We ask for your hope to keep believing, to keep waiting as we live these days that seem like they don't have meaning sometimes, waiting for this thing that you want to do, that you promised to do in our lives. We ask these things in the name of Christ. Amen.